Well, good morning, everybody. Listen, I've got a special treat for you. I'm not going to be preaching this morning. Somebody say, praise God. Yeah. See, Ben, ben really enjoyed that. He's excited. Um, so, Lo- Logan Bray on this pulpit every Sunday, he writes something on here. He usually writes, you're the man, or uh, last week it said, hey, Don, you're the man. This week it says, you're the best dad, love you, so... That means that Alan Bray is preaching this morning. I'm going to invite Alan Bray to come up. Listen, Alan Bray, uh, he, he's been at our church here for a while now, and he's, he's one of our elders on the board. He, he helps us quite a bit with a lot of decision-making and different stuff like that. But Alan Bray, he has a heart for missions a lot like Donald does. And recently, you know, you guys helped him uh, purchase some bicycles for some, for some ministers in Uganda. And so that was, that was a great thing, and we had some pictures of that. But I've been talking to Alan about this sermon series about the church and how Jesus said he would build his church, and Alan was talking about some things that uh, I just thought would be so good to share with the church. So we're going to let him uh, bring the word this morning. Uh, and just, and just let, let, let's just, pr- we stretch your hand toward Alan this morning. Let's just pray for him. Father, we're grateful. For Alan, God, and for the ministry that you've called him into, Lord, for what he's doing locally, for what he's doing globally, and for the impact that he's having, Lord, not only in churches in, uh, in our region, but, God, churches throughout the globe. And, uh, and, Father, we just bless him. We pray this morning for just an increased anointing upon him, God, that you would use the words that he speaks to impact us, to impact our hearts, and to open our hearts and minds, God, to what you've called us into as individuals and as a church corporately, Lord Jesus. We thank you for it. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, thank you, Clay. It's good to be here this morning, and I appreciate this. Uh, I count it a privilege to be able to stand before you this morning and and speak. But, um, you know, I've been um, traveling for several years now to different, um, like uh, Clay was saying, to different nations and um, speaking in those nations. And I, I, uh, it came to my attention, I think it was the Holy Spirit that brought it to my attention that, um, that I had a burden for the other nations, but maybe I didn't have the burden that he wanted me to have for my own community. For the people that lived... 200 yards from me, uh, for the people that I seen as I came and went every day, and I started praying that God would give me a greater burden for those people, for my community, and he took me to Guatemala, and I listened to Brother Yurton pray a, preach a message um, on a series on Nehemiah, how that Nehemiah had went and, and rebuilt the city of Jerusalem, and I started taking that in a spiritual context. Um, in a way that we can ourselves rebuild our communities as Christians because God has given us that anointing on our lives. And I know Clay's been, um, the, the series that they've been preaching is, um, is build my church. Like Jesus told Peter, uh, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ in our lives that causes us to be able to build his church. It's the revelation of who he is in our lives that we can take to others and reveal Jesus Christ, help them to understand who Jesus Christ is. And that's what helps us to be able to build his church. So what I wanted to speak on is a, is a subject that's it's very, very dear to me. 
And it's a, a thing that I wrestled with for years, anointed for the marketplace. You know, I've spent most of my life um, in business, um, almost my entire life. From the time I was nine or ten years old, I had some sort of a, a little business. And God has blessed us in business. But I carried around guilt because my ministry was in the marketplace and in business instead of in the pulpit. So that's what I wanted to share with you this morning, just in case that someone else feels the same way, that God has anointed you. God has anointed each of you for the marketplace. So where has God placed you in the marketplace? We could take note of that. And most people pass through their entire lives and they never realize the fact that God had placed him in a place, in a position, in the marketplace. You know, when Clay comes down to his elder years, he's going to know that God placed him in City of Hope Church as the pastor here. And I want us who are in the marketplace every day to realize that God had us in the place that he has us in for the exact same reason, for the exact same purpose, that we're called, we're anointed for the place that he has us right now, right here today. We don't have to be striving every day for the place that he wants to take us to. So I want to take you to the scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Two times Paul urges us to remain in the vocation to which God has called us. He said, let each one remain in the same calling in which he was called. And he's talking about when you come to Christ. In verse 24, he says, Brethren, let each one remain with God in the state that he was, in which he was called. You know, everything gets funded by the marketplace. This world revolves on the marketplace. You know, almost all non-Christians are in the marketplace. And guess what? Almost all Christians are are also in the marketplace. He has us there for a reason and a purpose, and he's anointed us to be exactly where we are. For some reason, God's most underused resources are the business person who's filled with the Holy Spirit. Some of God's most unused resources are the educator that's filled with the Holy Spirit. Some of the most underused resources is the politician who's filled with the Holy Spirit. Some of the most underused resources that God has today is the man or woman who is on the job in the marketplace. If only more Christians realized that they're called to the marketplace, Luke 19 and verse 13 says... We should occupy until he comes. You know, I always read that scripture, occupy till he comes. And I thought, you know, God wants me just to be right here, occupy this place. But it goes a little deeper than that. Occupy actually means to barter, to trade, or to literally do the work of a banker. Occupy till he comes. You know what a banker does? A banker makes deposits and they withdrawal deposits and they make debits and they make credits that's what we're doing but while we're doing it the entire time we're doing it our life is a ministry 
God has appointed people to be successful in the marketplace. Generals or privates. You know, we think, seem to think in the church today that they're, they're generals or privates. And you know what? Actually, there's millions of men and women who have been called to ministry in the marketplace. They feel like second-class Christians. Just simply because God hasn't put them in a pulpit. But God is using your life to minister every day. And they're comparing themselves to people who's in a church or a missionary capacity. And they often fail to rise to their God-given anointed position. It's time for us as Christians to give marketplace people validation. As full-fledged ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I believe the last revival, the one that Joel prophesied, that Peter quoted in Acts chapter 2, will take place all over the city, not just inside the four walls of the church. It's time that we ourselves acknowledge and understand the weight that we carry and the responsibility that you and I carry in the marketplace as marketplace ministers. We're anointed for the marketplace. My confessions as a, as a Christian businessman, the things that I tussled with for so many years, when I was only five years old, people would ask me, what do you want to be? You know how you ask little kids. You say, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I always say, I want to be a preacher like my Uncle Henry. He was my pastor. And I wanted to be a preacher like my uncle. And I think that is more often than not, it's the culture of the church. It's the unspoken rule that we all have. You really want to make a difference. If you really want to make a difference in your life, when you become a Christian, then you're going to become a preacher or a missionary. That's just the culture of the church. And we have so many people sitting in the congregations that don't realize that they are anointed. That they are anointed in the marketplace. God has given them a position. He's given them a purpose. He's given them a place to be and to minister the gospel of Jesus Christ to others. I began to see myself as a second class Christian when I got saved. About 13 years old when I didn't become a preacher and I thought I was going to become a preacher. That's what I always said I wanted to do. I become at about 19, 20 years old. I thought, well, I'm just a second class Christian. I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough a Christian to be able to stand behind the pulpit and preach. Because I thought that's what everyone was supposed to do when they become a Christian. If you really want to make a difference. I just felt like I wasn't good enough for God. Then I realized that God is with us at work. He begins showing me himself in my jobs. He begins showing me favor in my jobs. He begins showing me favor with people. And I started beginning to realize that I was anointed for this. I was in business. I was in the marketplace. But I started realizing that there was an anointing on my life. In order to fulfill the mission that God has given us in the marketplace, his guidance and supernatural his supernatural intervention is essential. There's a friend of mine who's um, been talking to me for a couple months now. He's, um, he's been a pastor. He's been a minister. He's been a preacher. He's been a missionary in nations all around the world. And he's been asking me the last couple months. He's getting up to an age that he's ready to retire. And see, so he failed to make some preparations as many ministers do. For retirement years, when they get to the point that they're ready to pass the baton to the next generation, 
He hasn't made preparations, and he's talking to me about business. And I've been with this man in ministry around the world. And I've seen people who are lame begin to walk. And I asked him the other day, I said, do you not believe that the same God who gives you a miracle in ministry on the other side of the earth is not able to give you a marketplace miracle? He's the God of miracles, and he's interested in what you're doing right now here today, the same as he is interested in what happens in the church. Once I opened my eyes to the fact that God had anointed me for the marketplace... I was able to go forward. And this is a big word here. I was able to go forward guiltlessly into the business opportunities that God was placing in front of me. Before, see, I I'd had, I'd had guilt because I thought I wasn't doing what God wanted me to do. I didn't realize there was an anointing on my life for the marketplace. Since then, the Holy Spirit has brought scriptures to my attention that, that clearly teach that there is a divine anointing in the marketplace. That we're called... you know where your congregation is at this morning? You're a minister in the marketplace, and your congregation is all around you in the marketplace. Where is it that God has called you to? That's your congregation. That's the people that look to you every day and say, Can you help me pray about this? Can you help me pray about that? You know, my mom is sick or my grandma's sick or we've had a loss in the family. Can you help me pray about that? That's your congregation. And we fail to realize that. But having the fullness of the Spirit and all of His gifts, we have all the Holy Spirit's gifts. We can take the kingdom of God to the heart of the marketplace. That means that we're doing business, we're working in a bank or an office, we're teaching in the classroom. We're filling an office in City Hall or the courthouse. We're even selling cars. That's what I did for 27 years. We're even selling cars. And we're doing all in the power of the Holy Spirit and having church all over the city. All over the city just as the Christians did. Acts 2 and 42, I heard Clay quote this last week, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. In this past week, um, I was in conversation with an individual, and they was telling me um, that they had actually been spending some time in the evenings being a transport for a young man who was not able to otherwise compete in some after-school activities in sports. But he was being that transportation so that this young man could... He's got this young man has a rough home life. A rough home life. Otherwise, he would not be able to do this. But someone is stepping up in ministry to make sure that this child has transportation back and forth. And this past week, I also, see, all these things just came this week, and I thought, well, I'm going to tell people about those things because they may be in the same situation. There was a young lady in the school system. She was at the hospital because there was a young girl in one of the classes that they possibly thought could have been abused, mistreated. She wanted to be at the hospital with that young lady, that young girl, because... She didn't want to be there by herself. 
That's ministry. That's ministry in the marketplace. That's being there when nobody else could be there. That's being there because the people who were supposed to be there are not there. That's stepping up to a place that God has called us to and to know to do those things is the anointing that God has on your life because you see it. My wife sees things when I don't see them so many times. She sees it before I ever see it. But you know, the Holy Ghost will help us to see things that other people don't see. He'll help us to realize situations in people's lives that no one else realizes. I heard about a movement going on here at Clay County High School in the athletic program. Justin come home telling me about how there was an excitement in the air. How that a couple of, of the high school teachers are, are bringing all the kids together. And they're having a tailgate. And bringing the kids all enjoy that that is marketplace ministry, my friend. That's doing something else that no one else was willing to do. That's the anointing of the Holy Spirit on your life for what he has for you to do in the marketplace. There are four lethal false beliefs that I want to give you this morning. It's in your handout. The combination of these four false beliefs usually neutralizes God's calling on those anointed for marketplace ministry. The number one false belief is that there is a God-ordained division between ministers and just ordinary Christians. See, the devil wants us to think that there's a God-ordained division, that they're assigned to ministry and we're not assigned to ministry. The number two false belief is the church is called to operate primarily inside a building. And we all know that. And City of Hope is the prime example of a church that operates outside the four walls of a building. Another good friend of mine who's a pastor told me a while back, we, I was talking to him about this very thing, um, um, evangelizing our community. And he said, you know, he said, if um, we had an influx a sudden influx of unchurched people, he said, I would not know how to dis disciple them. He said, we're not prepared to disciple people who are, have never been in church before. He said, we had one gentleman who came in and got saved in the church who had never been to church before. He spent most of his life in, in prison. He said, the next Sunday, he brought an entire row, an entire pew with him to church. He said, and I'm not prepared to disciple. City of Hope is prepared to disciple. We're prepared to disciple. And God has given us that vision so that we're able to go forward when people come to church. The third false belief is that people involved in the marketplace cannot be as spiritual as those serving in traditional church ministry. You're saved. You're filled with the Holy Ghost. God has anointed you. He's given you the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and you can use those throughout ministry. False belief, number four, the primary role of a marketplace Christian is to make money and support the vision of those in the ministry. Yes, we're supposed to support the vision of those in ministry. Yes, we're supposed to pay our tithes, and yes, we're supposed to, to support the church. But our primary role is as everyone else that's a Christian. Our mission should be the Great Commission. That's our primary role. And everything comes behind that. You're anointed for the marketplace. We have to understand that it is um, that we are anointed for the marketplace. Anointing in the Bible 
is to be anointed for business is to be set aside for the God's, by God for the service in the marketplace. Once you're anointed, you use your job as a ministry vehicle to transform the marketplace. So the gospel will preach, be preached to and heard by every creature in our sphere of influence. And the same principle applies to all areas of marketplace, business, education, government. It doesn't matter where you are in the marketplace, all those do apply. Anointing is important in the scripture. So I wanted you to understand anointing this morning, the anointing that God has put on your life to serve in the marketplace. It's associated with oil, which symbolizes the Holy Spirit. They would pour, they would rub, or they would smear something or someone with oil, and that would indicate that that person or that item or that place had been set aside for divine use. When a person was anointed, a large amount of oil, up to five quarts of oil, that's the reason when we, when we read in the Bible about um, them anointing someone as a priest or anointing someone in the Bible or king, it would be dripping off their beard, it would be dripping off their clothes, off the hem of their garment. It would be dripping off the five quarts of oil. So when a person was anointed, it was poured on his head, symbolizing the totality of the person was set aside. Now here's what happened. Christ, if, we, if you look up the word Christ, the name Christ, it actually means the anointed one. So Christ, the anointed one, when he embraces us, now remember, he's anointed. He's covered with anointing. When he embraces us, guess what happens? Some of that oil gets off on you. It's the residue of his embrace that's on you. So when you become a Christian, you open your life up to Christ. You embrace Christ and he embraces you. There's an anointing that comes on your life. And such an anointing was done for full-time consecration. You didn't find a part-time priest or a part-time king in the Bible. So you don't lay your anointing off when you go to work in the morning. When you go to work, you wear that anointing. Whether you want to or not, you're wearing that anointing. It's just on you because you know what? Because Jesus is in you. And you can't help it. It's just on you. Part-time anointing for a part-time ministry is not found in the Bible. So my friend, we are anointed by God for the purpose that he's placed on our life. Christ, the anointed one, embraces us. And the anointing is precisely what God has in mind for people in the marketplace. He wants to anoint us with his Holy Spirit. It's our responsibility to maintain that consecration. It's our responsibility to ma maintain that consecration to function in the fullness of our calling and anointing. God has anointed us, but there's a responsibility that we have on our own selves. A responsibility that we live responsibly to maintain that consecration. That we're able to function in the fullness of our calling and the anointing that God has placed on our life. Acts 26, Paul is on the road to Damascus and he meets Jesus on the way. And he's miraculously converted to Christ. Jesus tells them to be sending him. He, he said, here's what I'm going to do to you, Paul. I'm going to send you to the Jews and to the Gentiles and make you a minister and a witness 
And here's what you're going to do. It's in order to open their eyes, in order for them to return, for them to turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. And that's what you and I are called to do as well. We're to be that light in the world. So the people, when they see Jesus in us, they can turn from darkness into light and from the power of Satan to the power of God. You know, Jesus is in the marketplace. You know, Jesus was actually born in the marketplace. I heard one of the lines this morning um, in one of the songs said, um, a manger in the dirt. You know, Jesus was born in the marketplace. But we have a hard time understanding and have a hard time picturing Jesus as a manager in the marketplace. Think about it. When those, um, when those Jewish boys grew up, they were turned to the age of 17, they began learning the trade of their father. Jesus didn't go into ministry until he was 30 years old. So that means 13 years, 14 years, Jesus was at a carpenter's bench in the marketplace. He was a carpenter a lot longer than he was a preacher. First and foremost, he was a businessman much longer than he was a preacher. And we have a hard time thinking of Jesus as a carpenter, but he's identified as a carpenter in the marketplace. His teachings dealt extensively. Think about all the Proverbs that he puts in the Bible. He dealt, they dealt extensively with the marketplace. Jesus only spoke from the pulpit very few times. The harvest is ripe to harvest but it's not in the church pews the harvest is not in the church pews the harvest the great harvest that we're going to reap is in the marketplace early Christians in the marketplace uh, let's take a look at Jesus disciples Jesus met Peter and Andrew professional fishermen busy casting their net into the sea when Jesus told them come and follow me next he spotted James and John with their father mending nets he found him in the marketplace. Matthew was receiving, he received his call while he was in his tax office. Nathaniel was sitting under a tree and he probably was a farmer. All the disciples were definitely marketplace people. So if Jesus found all of his disciples in the marketplace, we have to ask the question, if we as Christians today are to go and to make disciples, where is it you think we're going to find those disciples at? I would guess that we're probably going to find him in the marketplace. That's where Jesus found his. The writing of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he entrusted to marketplace leaders. Luke was a medical doctor. Matthew was a retired tax collector. John was a partner in a fishing business. Mark, who is Mark? It's, it's always the question. I've always wondered, who was Mark? We read about Mark a little bit later. So his mother, Mary, was one of those. You remember when um, Peter was in prison and they were in the house praying for Peter and he comes knocking at the door, at the gate. All of a sudden he's released from prison and he's able to come and he's knocking at the gate at the house that they're praying for him in. And little Rhoda, the little maidservant, she comes to open up the door and she sees it's Peter at the gate. So she closes the door and runs back in the house to tell them Peter is outside the gate. So Mary is the mother of Mark. That's whose house they were having church at. So in order for her to have church at, their ha at her house, then she must have had a pretty big house. And poor people didn't have maidservants. And, you know, 
going to those eastern countries, when people has a gate outside their home in Africa, their home is built way inside that. He, Peter's outside, way outside. She was a wealthy woman. Mary, the mother of Mark, was a wealthy Mark was from a wealthy family. Most of Jesus' followers remained in the full-time business while they were also conducting full-time ministry. This was possible. Here's how it was possible because they saw the marketplace as their parish and their business as a pulpit. We've tried to pull it all inside the church. And it's not inside the church only. To them, witnessing was not an occasional activity, but it was a lifestyle. It was an everyday lifestyle. Today, millions of men and women are similarly called to full-time ministry and business and in education and in government to the marketplace. They're called to bring in the kingdom of God to the heart of the city. Not only is it okay to do ministry in the marketplace, but we must realize that God has called us and anointed us for it. Acts 4 and 13 says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived they were uneducated and untrained men. They marveled. I'm talking about the disciples in the marketplace. They marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. They were uneducated and untrained, but they could tell that they had been with Jesus. So the early church founders were mostly community leaders and highly successful people in the marketplace. Lydia, we read of Lydia in the New Testament. She was a wealthy wholesaler of expensive fabric. She had homes in two different cities, Philippi and Thyatira. Dorcas was a clothes designer. And she apparently made a good living because in Acts it tells that she was continually doing deeds of kindness and charity. Aquila and Priscilla, they were business people. They were tent makers like Paul. The Ethiopian eunuch was in charge of all the treasure of Candace, the queen of Ethiopia. So God is the God of the marketplace. And there's an old myth about marketplace people. You remember David's brothers were with the Israeli army and Goliath was coming against them. And David's father sent David to check on his brothers and take them food. So David sees the predicament that Israel is in with this giant Goliath. And he spoke, as he spoke with his brothers, Goliath came with a challenge. It was perfect timing. So David's question, when he sees this Goliath come, he asks, what shall be done for the man who kills the Philistine and takes away the reproach, reproach from Israel? That was his first question. What's going to be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? What's the prize? What's the reward? What's the profit? The men tell David, they say, well, the king has promised to enrich him with great riches. The king will give him his daughter to marry. And the king will exempt the man's entire house from paying taxes. Now, this is the, after they tell David what the reward is, what the prophet is, this is the very next line that David, if this is in the Bible, it says, David said, after he found out what the reward was, he said, who is this uncircumcised, uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? He wants to know what the reward is when they tell him. He says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? That he would divide the armies of God. David's oldest brother, Eliab, tried to disqualify David for any role on the battlefield because of his occupation. He said, why did you come here? 
And who did you leave those few sheep that you have with? Get back to your business. You don't belong here. Eliab did not believe that David belonged with the pros. That's the myth. That's the myth and that's the culture of the church. We've taken on and we've took the lies of the enemy for so long that we've accepted the fact that he's telling us that we don't belong there because we're not anointed to play an instrument or we're not anointed to sing or we're not anointed to stand behind the platform and preach a sermon. We've just said that we're just going to remain quiet. We're going to go to work. Back, You have a ministry right where you are today, right now. And God has anointed you for that ministry. The profit motive to a business person was what the drive was, drive to win as an athlete. You know, that's something I don't understand about as athletics because I'm, I'm not an athlete. But my sons are all athletes and they're so competitive. They want to win. You know, my wife even, used to the kids, they was playing little league, you know, this and, and, and t-ball and they was playing soccer. And my wife would run from one end of the soccer field to the other the whole time these little four and five-year-olds was out there kicking the ball. So... She wanted them. They wouldn't even keep in score, but she wanted them to win. <laughs> so I never understood that. I thought I was kind of like the, some of the coaches. They say, ah, they're just having fun. They're just having fun. Let them have fun. It's not about fun. <laughs> they are out there to win. So I didn't understand that. But I do understand the competitive in, competitiveness in business. I do understand about making a profit. I do understand that's what motivates me. And people think that's an evil thing. If you notice, they always put evil with profit and poverty with righteousness. That's our culture. That's not always necessarily so. There's some, there's, there are some evil people who are out there for a profit. But not all of them are evil people. And there's some unrighteous people out there that are poor, but not all of them are unrighteous. We have no problem with God using a Christian athlete, but we can't see him using someone who's in business. The case of a Christian in the marketplace, the devil seems, seeks to prevent the motivation by labeling marketplace believers as profit-driven or salary-driven in a demeaning way. They're just out there to make money. And the fact of is, when we make money, we bring our tithes to, this, to the house of God. We fund the ministry, we fund the church, we, do, we, fund, business, we, we fund ministry in the marketplace. We do all those things. Satan either keeps them away from the marketplace or he handicaps them with the self-doubt that they choose to enter it. Even Saul disqualified David because of his lack of professional training. David could not be deterred. Because see, David could see the reward. He could see the profit. They'd already said, he's going to make you a wealthy man. He's going to give you his daughter to marry. The king's daughter. And... Your family, your entire family is going to be exempt from taxes. His job was his ministry, and his ministry was his job. We've come to rate a plowing a field or teaching in the classroom or selling the car less valid than prayer or praise. But when we do it unto the glory of God, 
When we do it under the glory of God, these are also spiritual deeds. You know that we were in the car business on our own. Me and my wife were for um, seven years before we retired from the car business. And do you know that every time we went to the auction, we would pray before we went in to buy cars. We would pray that we would buy good cars because we wanted to sell good cars to good people who were coming to us in the marketplace to do business. So we would pray over those cars. And you know what? Still yet today, I have pe- we've been out of the business now for 10 years. And I just had a, a guy last week come and tell me, you know, my dad still has that truck he bought off of you back in whatever year it was. He said 300,000 miles. I said, Debbie must have prayed for that one. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, um, you know, you have people come still and tell you. But we were in the marketplace, but we were doing it for the, under the glory of God. We wanted to bring glory to God with whatever he gave us to do. And it doesn't matter how big or how small of a job you have. That part doesn't matter. The part is that he's given you a place in the marketplace to do ministry. That's your platform. That's your pulpit. And those people all around you are your congregation. There's four steps to find a destiny in the marketplace. One, join the system. If you have a job, you're in the marketplace. God has a purpose for you to fulfill in the marketplace. Make peace with your job by accepting it as God's starting point for you. Thank God for it. I know there's sometimes that the stench of sin is all around us and I've been there. But remember, you've embraced the anointed one. That anointing is on you. So you can bring that sweet aroma of anointing into the place no matter what kind of sin, because greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. And you bring that sweet aroma of the anointing that God has placed on your life into the place God has put you in to minister. And I'm telling you, you don't realize sometimes the weight that you carry with that anointing that's on you. Do you realize that the atmosphere of a room changes when you walk in it? You don't realize it because you wasn't in there before you came in. The atmosphere of the room changes when an anointed child of God walks in the room. Number two, embrace the system. Join the system. Embrace the system. God could very well lead you to a different job. But until he does, give your current job your very best. By doing so, you're allowing God to move you from victory to victory. You know, I'm sure Esther had a hard time embracing her job as queen. She had someone in her guest list that wanted to annihilate her and her entire people. But you know what? She said, this is in God's hands. I'm going to let God take care of it. Number three, improve the system. That's a challenge, but not a challenge that you can't rise above. Embrace the system. Improve the system. You and I are instructed by the Lord to make things better at work. When there are all the bickering and the complaining and the griping and the gossiping going on, just say, hey, you know what? Let's pray for them. Let's just say a prayer for them. Don't join in on it. Eventually, other people catch on, especially those things that are not doing well. Have you ever been on a job and you, someone gives you an assignment and all of a sudden things start doing better in that area? I've been there. Something's given to me and all of a sudden things just start changing around. What? We didn't expect this. It's because you're anointed for the marketplace. 
When things begin to happen in this supernatural way, it points people to God. Bring the kingdom. Number four, bring the kingdom to your job. You're the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill. You're able to bless your job. Remember, you're carrying that anointing. You're able to bless your job. Embrace it. We can see the marketplace transformed. Even experience miracles in the marketplace. Part of your job description as a Christian in the marketplace should be to bless your place of employment. Say a prayer over it. Say a prayer over the people. Say a prayer over your boss, over the owner of a business. God, give them clear direction. Give them wisdom. Let your Holy Spirit invade their life. I'm going to close here if they'll come to the music. The devil fears marketplace people. And the reason he fears marketplace people is because all throughout history, people in the marketplace have inflicted damage to his kingdom. Think about Joseph and Moses and Nehemiah, Gideon, Daniel, Esther, Elijah, Peter, Paul, Barnabas, and so many others that upset his evil plans. That's why today the devil is afraid that Christians, Christians being you and I, he's afraid that if we fulfill our divine destiny in the marketplace, we'll bring the kingdom of God to it. To prevent this from happening, he continued disqualifies them by debasing their occupation. You can't do nothing for God. That's what he wants to tell us. You can't do anything for God because you're just a, whatever your occupation is. You're not making a difference in the kingdom of God because you're just, God has anointed you for that job that you have. He's always telling us that it's less spiritual than church work. And he paints us as materialistic and unspiritual. Don't let your occupation block your destiny. Instead, allow your destiny to shape your marketplace occupation by turning it into your ministry. Your occupation or your station and your field, it doesn't matter. Jesus began as a carpenter. Jesus hung on a tree and he carved the lives, lines of millions of people into replicas of himself. David began as a shepherd and he became the shepherd of Israel. Peter began as a fisherman and he became a premier fisherman. Those were small beginnings. Yet each one fulfilled their divine destiny. Let God show each of us today. Our congregation is in the marketplace. There's a destiny and a purpose for us right where we're at today. We're a part of a movement that God has designed to bring his kingdom to the heart of Clay County and of Laurel County. You could take the first step towards your destiny right now. Because the God of the ministry is also the God of the marketplace. Luke 19, 13 again says, Occupy till he comes. Occupy till he comes. We can stay right where we're at, doing exactly what we're doing with the same people that's been around us maybe for years. 
occupy till he comes. He's coming back. But until he does come back, we're to occupy. And we're to build his kingdom through and by the anointing that he's given us for the exact job that we're doing. Realize that God has you there for such a time as this. He's prepared you for exactly what you're doing right where you're doing it at. The only difference is he wants us to see that as we're anointed for what we're doing. You have a platform right where you're at. You're anointed in the, in the marketplace. Billy Graham said, The evangelistic harvest is always urgent. The destiny of men and of nations is always being decided. Every generation is strategic. We're not responsible for the past generation. And we cannot bear the full responsibility for the next one. But we do have our generation. God will hold us responsible as to how well we fulfill our responsibilities to this age and take advantage of our opportunities. So what opportunities has God given you today? What is the assignment that he's placed on us? What is the assignment that he's anointed you for? The people that he's placed around you, the congregation that he's given you. My prayer is that my burden be greater for my community. My burden would be greater for Clay County, for Laurel County. Only 30% on average of any county is actually Christian, going to church. That leaves 70% of the people out there in the public that we meet on a day-to-day basis are not Christian. It's a large assignment. But you know, God has put it in the hands of a people and anointed them for it. He didn't give us something to do and not give us the means to do it by. He's anointed us for the work that he's given us. God bless you.